everybody. Welcome to the blessed side. We are a presence-driven church taking the message of reconciliation to the world. You can cheer for that, I promise. <laughs> Today we're going to be continuing something I should introduce myself to, right? My name is Pastor Tony Sandoval. It still sounds weird to say that. <laughs> but we're going to be continuing in our series entitled, How to Overcome Life's Challenges. Pastor Gill, father of the house, opened it up a couple weeks ago with his, uh, with his title, When Life Throws You Curveballs. Pastor Jay killed it last week. Give it up for Pastor Jay, Pastor Gill. And Pastor Jay brought the word with a, a message entitled, You're Dead Wrong on confrontation how many love confrontation okay that's maybe i'm glad listen to the message first if you have <laughs> we'll pray for y'all after this but uh but i'm so excited man i'm gonna be speaking about something that's near and dear to my heart uh but today i'm gonna be talking about endurance endurance and i think a big challenge that the church faces here today is the Q word, quit, quit. I think too many of us are quitting. I think too many of us are throwing in the towel. I think too many of us are quitting too early and too often. That's what I believe. And I believe today God is going to straighten some things out. I'll say it again. I'll say it again till you believe it. I'm a much better preacher if you cheer me on, I promise. I'm a much better preacher. <laughs> Hebrews 12. Turn to your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, turn to your Bibles. If you have a Bible app, turn to your Bible app. I can't tell if you're on Instagram or on your Bible, but I promise God does. So I'm trying to make eye contact with some people. <laughs> Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Wave at me when you got it. There you go. That's enough. If it's not, it's behind me. Don't worry about it. Hebrews 12, 1, 2. It says, therefore, we are also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, hmm, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The title of my message here today is Run the Race. Pray with me. Father God, we worship you. Father God, we thank you, God, because you're in the house. We're not waiting for you. You're not late. You're not on the way. You didn't oversleep. You are already here, God, Lord. And I pray that your presence lingers throughout this time, God. I pray that you speak loud and that you speak clear, God, Lord. I pray that you maximize yourself and that you minimize me, God. And in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Give it up for God. Me and my wife just got back from a trip, so if I look a little bit more tan, it's because we were walking for three days straight. <laughs> we went to Disneyland. Who's ever been to Disneyland, y'all? Come on, who's been to Disneyland? We went to Disneyland, and we spent three days in the beautiful Disneyland there. And let me tell you something. Disneyland is a marathon, y'all. Disneyland is a marathon. It is not something that you go into for 30 minutes. How many know that those tickets are expensive? Come on. They are expensive. You know, those tickets are, don't, are not cheap. And it's in Southern California, so guess what? It's warm. Luckily, we were super blessed. It was like 80, 82, 80 degrees or something like that. It wasn't terrible, you know. But when you're walking so much, it might as well be 146 degrees. That's what it felt like. And Disneyland, it's crowded. There's long lines. There's a ton of people. There's crying babies left and right. Come on, somebody. Where's your parents at? All you parents out there. 
are you parents? I know you've taken your kids to Disneyland, dragging them. We, me and my wife were laughing because you can tell that the parents who just had enough, their kids like screaming with Mickey ears on and their parents just dead face. Like, I can't believe I spent all my money to bring you ungrateful kids here. I bought you Mickey ears that were $645 and you're crying. <laughs> Chanel knows what I was like. <laughs> but I remember going to Disneyland as a kid. And we loved Disneyland as a kid. My parents would save up, we would go in the minivan, my dad would take out the second row, and we would roll around on the floor, down the I-5, all the way down to Disneyland. And we were always had so much fun. I'm the oldest of three, I have two little sisters, and we always had so much fun. But what I do remember is the heat, the long lines, the crowd, and I remember walking all day. I was a chubby little kid. So walking three miles was like walking 48 miles. It basically felt like that. But it was a lot of walking all the way. And my parents wanted to maximize our time at Disneyland. You got one day, kid. We're going to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. We're going to go over to McDonald's. You and your two sisters are going to share, share a big breakfast meal. And one, let me repeat that, one orange juice. <laughs> We're going to go into Disneyland. We're going to be in line, and as soon as that gate opens, y'all better have a Disney fun time. <laughs> That's what it was like. And from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., we had fun. But it was a marathon of a day. <laughs> it, was, it was a marathon of a day. Going this last time with my wife was the most fun I have ever had at Disneyland. Hands down. Hands down. Not just because I'm married, but because she's my best friend. So we had a ton of fun. You can say, oh, you can break. Come on. It's okay. There you go. Makes me feel good when you say that. <laughs> but we had fun. It was, it was so much fun. I think we became Disney people, by the way. I think we're going to get maybe an annual pass or something like that. Right? We talked about it. So if you, uh, we'll pray. We'll pass around the ushering plates after that. And you guys can give towards that after that. But we were so happy about going. And me and my wife are in, and my wife is in substantially better shape than I am, as you can tell, but me and my wife are in pretty decent shape, and we have the same mind. We're going to go all day. We don't get tired. We don't complain. If we're on vacation, we can go all day, no problem. We don't have any kids yet, you know, so we don't have any kids that drag behind us or cry or anything like that or take our money. <laughs> so we had fun, and for three days, we did everything, everything. Everything that the park had to offer for three days, we did everything. And guess what, y'all? We walked. Oh, we walked. For three days, I didn't work out, but I felt like it. The first day, we walked 10 miles. And that was, like, not even the full time at the park, right? We got there, like, at noon because we're wild, y'all. We woke up, like, at 5 o'clock in the morning, drove straight to class at Disneyland, and went across the park. Like, we're, we're crazy like that. First day, walked 10 miles. Second day, a light day, 12 miles. Third day, we got a little crazy. Third day, we got a little crazy. We walked 13 miles. It was on my iWatch. You all probably saw it. You probably thought I was running from the cops or something like that. Something. But for three days, we walked in 33, 35 miles in three days. 35 miles in three days. It was a marathon. It was a marathon. And it got me thinking. It's kind of like what the kingdom of God is sometimes, right? Sometimes the kingdom of God feels like a marathon. And sometimes the kingdom of God, it feels like this. God gives you this amazing opportunity to serve, to love, to be exactly who he's called you to be, to worship, to do prophesy, to preach, to sing, to dance, to do all these things for God. And he says, go have fun. Go have fun. The happiest place in the world isn't Disneyland. It's in the presence of God. He does this great big thing. And he says, have fun, y'all. Have fun. I love what Pastor Gil says all the time. This Christian life, it ain't boring. It's an adventure. It's an adventure. Being a Christian that's taking me more places than being a businessman than being this, than being that. Being a Christian has taken me more places than anything else I could possibly imagine. And in Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, Jesus himself tells his disciple, therefore go. Someone say go. 
and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I felt like some of us, we've been walking this marathon. And God punched your ticket, and he said, go have fun. And you had fun the first day or the first year or the first couple months of marriage or the first couple this or the first couple that. And then you're like, my feet hurt. It's hot up on here, God. You want to have me wait? There's waiting in the kingdom of God. There's waiting in the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. There's waiting in the kingdom of God for sure. And I felt in my spirit like some of us are close to quitting. Quitting our marriages, quitting our church, quitting our dreams, quitting our careers, quitting our kids, quitting our life. And today I have a simple message for you. A short message. Endure. I'll say it again because they seem a little bit more holy, so I'm going to say it on this side. Endure. There we go. Come on, somebody. Endure. Sometimes life feels like a marathon, y'all. We may try to treat it like a sprint, but it's a marathon. It can be long. It can be hard. It can be exhausting, but it will always be worth living. So today, I'm going to tell you one thing. Endure. Don't quit. Even when it hurts. Maybe even especially when it hurts. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. I know it's overwhelming. Let me, let me talk to you real quick. I know it's overwhelming. I know you're tired. I know you're tired. But your God in heaven paid a price for you to run this race. Your Father in heaven paid a steep price. And you owe it to the Father in heaven to make the most out of the opportunity that he's given you to live. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. don't quit don't quit don't quit run this race with endurance Disneyland is funny because you don't conquer Disneyland you don't you endure Disneyland you endure Disneyland so how long pastor am I supposed to run this race for long as it takes as long as it takes well as long as what takes. I'm gonna, I don't have three points. I have more like three uh, phrases. Are we cool with that? We cool with phrases over points? Cool, because I can't edit anything, so we're good to go. So my first phrase is this. Run this race long enough for your faith to outlast your fear. Run this race long enough for your character to catch up to your calling. Run this race long enough to build your stamina. Today, we're gonna learn how to endure. You wanna quit? Don't. You feel like you need to quit? You don't. You feel like you can't move forward? You can. You feel like there's nothing left in the tank? There is. You feel like giving up? You won't after today. I believe that God is going to release a supernatural measure of endurance here today. If you came tired, good. You're about to be re-energized. If you came, oh, come on, somebody. I feel like preaching today. If you came empty, God is going to fill you up. If you feel broken, congratulations. God is about to put you back together. God is about to put you back together. Oh, I thought I was going to teach today. Oh, but I feel like preaching. <laughs> oh, I thought I was going to teach today, but I feel like preaching. Oh, I feel like God is starting to unveil some things. Unveil some things. Don't, don't hide your tiredness. Don't hide your exhaustion. Don't hide the quit. Face it. Face it. Face it. Sometimes you have to run this race long enough for your faith to outlast your fear. Your fear. Your fear. In all my years of ministering, in all my years of being in church, when I sit down and counsel somebody, you know what's the number one thing that's afflicting them? Fear. 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 Fear is a sin. It's a sin that's become more common than rare. The second thing I always see people suffering from is disobedience. 
fear and disobedience have become ordinary in the Christian life. Fear and disobedience. Mm. Let me tell you something. Fear and disobedience will keep you from becoming who you were called to be. Fear and disobedience, it will keep you from your healthiest self, your purest self, your, your holiest self. Hebrews 12, the first verse that we read, at its core verse, it says, it says, lay aside every weight and the sin. Lay aside every weight and the sin. Fear is the number one weight I see people carry. Fear is a weight, church. Fear will drag you down with it, church. Fear will keep you from jumping when God says jump. Fear will keep you from obeying when God says go. Fear, fear will keep you average when God has called you to be extraordinary. Oh, oh, come on. Fear will keep you bound when God says to be free. <laughs> fear keeps you depressed when God has called you to be joyful. Fear causes you to be addicted when God has said to be free. Fear will make you a bad husband. Fear will make you a bad wife. Fear will make you a bad son. Fear will make you a bad daughter. Fear does not make a good pastor. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I said this before a few months back, but I feel like fear, the problem with fear is that sometimes fear can be disguised as wisdom. I get a lot of people who come to me for business advice. I always do. How do I start a business? How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I do this? What, how much money do I need? How do I do this? How do I do this? And I always tell them, start. Just start. You believe God has called you to do that? Cool. Do it tomorrow. You know what? Do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Fear oftentimes is disguised as wisdom. I can't start that business, but because maybe the, 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 the Economic climate isn't maybe at its best. Maybe I should wait till I'm a little bit more skilled. Maybe I should wait till maybe the bank loans open up a little again. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Fear will keep you from doing something that God told you to do a long time ago. Mm -mm -mm -mm. You see, when you bow to fear, it becomes your master. And whatever you is your master holds you in captivity. I believe that some people are held in captivity by fear and disobedience, by fear and disobedience, by fear and disobedience. But I have good news for you, church. You can endure away your fear and you can endure your way into obedience. You see, let me tell you something. What you are willing to endure will determine what you get to experience in the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. What you are willing to endure will determine what you get to experience in the kingdom of God. You see, church, your calling was irrefutable. I've been calling Pastor Chris, pastor, since we met. And we would always tell each other, what's up, pastor? What's up, pastor? I wasn't a pastor yet. He wasn't a pastor. But we recognize something. Well, Y'all are pastors. We believe that. We believe that. And let me tell you something. I have never felt worthy of the calling of pastor in my life. But I have felt called. I would rather feel called a thousand times over than ever spend a day believing that I'm worthy. The calling is irrefutable. It cannot be taken from you. But you can give up your responsibility. Some of you have been called to lead, but you've left your post because you were afraid, because you were scared, because I'm not worthy to do it. I don't have the education to do it. I can't speak. I can't sing. I can't write. I can't dance. I can't do this and I can't do that. If God has called you, there is no man, woman, or child that can take that from you. Mm. nobody can tell you something 
if God has already called you to do it. Nobody can tell you something that God has already called you to. People may call you all kinds of things, but if God has called you son, you're son. If God has called you pastor, you're pastor. If God has called you clean, you're clean. If God has called you pure, you're pure. If God has called you healed somebody, then you're healed. Peter was chosen by Jesus, handpicked by Jesus. Jesus called Peter the rock on which I shall build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Those were the words that Jesus poured into Peter. But in John 21, we find a broken Peter, a fearful Peter, a disobedient Peter. Jesus had just been crucified. But lo and behold, he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. And Peter went back to the only thing that he knew how to do, fish. Jesus found him on a fishing boat. And when Peter lost himself, he went back to the fishing boat. Mm. He abandoned his post. He abandoned his post. And in John 21 5, Jesus says, so he called out to them. He said, children, do you have any fish? No, they answered. Verse 6, he says, he told them, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it there and they were unable to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and jumped into the sea. I don't know if God honors anything else more than obedience. God doesn't honor the one who can sing over the one who can't. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. There's a reason why I come up a little ahead of you because I project my voice this way. So I'm sorry, worship band, if you had to, be <laughs> if you had to suffer at the hands of my singing there. Peter was fishing all night. And in those days, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, like that show, uh, that fishing show where they hunt for crabs, right? They have all these machines and they have a giant boat. No, he was in a wooden boat in the middle of the sea with a net. And he would cast the net. And all night, the Bible says, he cast it, picked it up, nothing. Cast it, picked it up, nothing. And doing that all night, picking up a, a, a duly threaded note, soaked in water, the weight that you have to do it. Talk about a workout, right, Pastor Jay? We got to do that. We got to do that next. I can't swim, so maybe that's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. And second thought, I didn't say that. Cut it out the recording. But all night, all night he had done it. And then Jesus appears on the shore and he says, hey, children, what have you caught? They're like, dude, nothing. <laughs> do you not see the boat? It's empty. They don't know it's Jesus by this time. They, nobody would give Jesus attitude, right? It's not like you guys ever gave attitude to Jesus, right? We'll keep, we'll keep going. We'll keep going. You know what the difference? And Jesus asked him to, hey, what about if you throw your net on the other side? And Peter's like, all right, dude, whatever, bro. Like, this guy's on my nerves. Like, I'm ready to go home. Like, let's just do it. I'm tired. Throws his net on the other side. And the Bible says that he could not hold the weight of all the fish that came into the boat. What's the difference? I don't know how many times Peter and his men threw that net overnight. 20 times, 60 times, a thousand times. I don't know. But what's the difference between the thousand times that he threw it and the one time that Jesus asked him to do it? You know what the difference is? obedience. Jesus never asked him to throw the thousand times. He asked him once, what if you throw it on the right-hand side now? What if you throw it on the other side? And then all of a sudden, the floodgates open. You see, sometimes it feels like we are doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I can't stop drinking, pastor. 
I can't stop leaving the house, pastor. I can't stop smoking, pastor. I can't stop watching porn, pastor. I can't stop doing this. I can't stop cursing. I can't stop doing this. I can't stop doing that. And we feel like we're failing over and over and over again. And let me submit something to you. The reason you're failing is because you haven't done the one thing that Jesus has asked you to do, to obey. Jesus doesn't ask you to work harder. He asks you to obey. Jesus doesn't ask you to be more talented. He asks you to obey. Jesus does not ask you for works. He asks you to obey. The difference between the thousand times that he failed and the one time that brought him immeasurable success was obedience. You see, church, it's, too, it's always too early to quit. It's always too early to quit. Just wait a little longer. Endure a little longer. Endure long enough to become the person that you are called to be. Peter had every reason to quit. He had every reason to call this night a bust. Yo, this night's a bust. We didn't catch nothing. I did all this work for nothing, for nothing. And maybe you have every reason you believe to quit. Maybe you have every reason to throw in the towel. Maybe you have every reason to call your marriage a bust. Maybe you have every reason to quit on your kid and call him a bust. Maybe you have every reason to quit on your dream, it's a bust. Maybe you have every reason to give up. But can I submit something to you? Keep pushing. Keep moving. Keep tossing your net. Keep obeying God. Obedience never got anything, anybody anything except the goodness of God. I can't promise you that obeying is going to get you a brand new Ferrari in your driveway. Right? If not, Pastor would have like 16 Ferraris just zooming around everywhere. I can't promise you that God is going to give you the mansion on a hill that you've ever wanted because you've obeyed and you decided to cast your net. I can't promise you that. But what I can promise you that this is that obeying gets you the goodness of God. And whatever God decides is his goodness that he's going to impart on you, you are far better off in the obedience and goodness of God than you are in your fear and disobedience. You see, you never know when your next opportunity to obey, when your next opportunity to, be obe to obey will be the key to your breakthrough. Peter didn't even know it was Jesus. The Bible says that he didn't recognize him. He didn't know it was Jesus. You never know if it's Jesus asking you to jump. You never know if it's Jesus asking you to just throw it one more time. Just apply to that job one more time. Just go back home one more time, sit down with your wife, and watch me work. Just call your son, who we haven't talked to in years, and give him one more chance. You never know if it's Jesus asking you, just don't give up. Just do it one more time. Just obey one more time. But Peter did it anyway. You don't know what your suffering is about. That's the worst part about suffering. That's the worst part about suffering. When I work out, I suffer. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. You move around, but I like tacos, so I got to work out. <laughs> I, feel, I feel just the spirit of revelation after that. People are, people are just realizing some things about themselves right there. <laughs> When I work out, it, it, it's painful. It's suffering. But there's goodness that comes from the suffering. Choose to obey. Choose to endure. Enduring is obedience. Sometimes not giving up is all the obedience that you need. I'll say that again. Sometimes obedience... Mm. Oh, man. Come on. 
Sometimes obedience is the only enduring that you're ever going to need. Sometimes enduring is the only obedience that you're ever going to need. Run this race, church. Run this race. Second point, second phrase is this. Run this race long enough for your character to catch up to your calling. Mm, I love this one. I love this one. God called me when I was 16 to preach. Did you know that? The first time I was ever asked to preach was by a Sunday school teacher who had enough of me. My mom's in the back. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> she made me preach. She made me teach because I wouldn't shut up in class. So she said, you think you could do better? You teach next class. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> but I preached. And then after she told me, man, you're called to do this. You're called to do this. But my character wasn't up to my calling yet. David waited 27 years from the time that he was anointed as king to wear the crown of king over Israel. Sometimes your character needs to catch up to your calling. And I'm a very practical person, right? Ask my wife. Whenever she says, hey, can we buy this? I'm like, what are we going to use it for? <laughs> Do we need that? We just bought some uh, Thanksgiving trays, right? And, and then she's like, look at this, babe. We can get this. We can have Thanksgiving and all this other stuff. I'm like, do we need? I don't need no Thanksgiving colored plates. Like, it's fine. Give me the regular plates. I'm still going to eat just as much, you know? <laughs> it ain't going to stop me from eating more, you know? <laughs> but sometimes it may be more practical for us, right? If we get our calling and our responsibility right away. Sometimes it's more practical for us we just get our wife right away right sometimes it's more practical if we just get our husband early on sometimes it's just practical if we just get that job when we ask for it but sometimes God doesn't give you what you need or what you ask for I should say because he knows that you're still not who you're called to be sometimes God doesn't give you your husband right away because you're not the wife that you need to be yet Sometimes God won't give you that wife that you're praying for because you're not the husband that you need to be yet. Mm, mm -mm. Mm. You see, God does not make decisions based on practicality. You ever read this book? There's not a practical thing in here. There's not an act of Jesus or God that's ever practical. Never seems that way, right? Wouldn't it be just easier, God, to come down into Egypt, slay every Egyptian soldiers, and just walk the Israelites out? No. I'm going to send plagues and frogs and bloody water and all this stuff. And then when the soldiers attack them, I'm going to split the Red Sea, and they're going to walk across, and I'm going to kill the army. And then they're going to and then, and then wander for like 40 years, and a bunch of them are going to die off. And then maybe finally, Moses, sorry, you didn't make it. You disobeyed me. But Joshua and you, you can go in, and then you get to fight giants. That doesn't seem practical, God. But you see, God does not make decisions based on practicality. He makes decisions based on impact. And impact can seem impractical. It can seem wildly impractical, the decisions that God decides to make. But can I, can I tell you some church? Can I tell you some? Just me and you. Just me and you real quick. Just me and you. What you are willing to endure will determine your impact in the kingdom of God. What, what you are willing to endure will determine your impact in the kingdom of God. I love that my pastors are enduring faithful obedient people it is because these two endured I'm, i can't look at you i'm gonna cry <laughs> it is because our pastors endured that we get the blessed side i don't know if i if me or my wife would have ever been ordained as pastors is if you two did not endure you endured you endured for years. 
you too endured. And we thank you for that. And I need to stop making eye contact or I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to move my eyes over here. But what you are willing to endure would determine your impact in the kingdom of God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. It says this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my presence, I will know that you stand firm. Someone say firm. In the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This verse tells us to conduct yourselves. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves. Conduct yourselves. Who conducts you? I don't conduct you. You conduct you. You are responsible for the things that you say, think, and do. No one else is. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your daddy told you. I don't care what your mommy told you. I don't care if your brother or sister were mad at you. I don't care if you never got a birthday party. You are responsible for your life. Conduct yourselves. The Bible says to conduct yourself. Don't conduct someone else. Conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see, the way that you conduct yourself matters to God. In fact, Paul goes on to say in this verse that the way that we conduct ourselves determines if we are standing firm. I can tell when I talk to somebody how you've been conducting yourself. I could hear it in the anger in your voice. I can hear it in the gospel gossip on your tongue. I can hear it by how you talk about your wife, how you talk about your husband, how you refer to your kids. I could see it. I could hear it. I could smell it. I could feel it in my spirit. I know how you are conducting yourself behind closed doors. Because the way that you conduct yourselves on closed doors, you will conduct yourselves in public. Whether you think it, believe it, or see it or not. You will. What you do in private will always come out in public. Always. 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 You see, Jesus always made he conducted himself in the most impractical ways i love this book because this book is wild this book is better than any netflix series there's betrayal there's murder there's dead people rising from the dead from this book there's plagues this book is wild y'all and jesus never conducted himself in a practical fashion you see jesus always made decisions based on impact, not practicality. Don't believe me? I'll prove it to you. You see, he took a detour to see the woman at the well. He could have just went, uh, he could have just went around like every other Jewish man, but he decided to cut through Samaria to see the woman at the well. He waited an extra two days to see Lazarus, who he knew was sick and was going to die, but he thought it better to wait two days to come back and resurrect him. That's not practical. It's not. Why are you going to let the guy die when you can go heal him? Because God doesn't make, he doesn't make decisions based on practicality. He makes decisions on impact. Jesus fed the 5,000. Why? Just send them home. Go to McDonald's. I love you guys, but we do not have food after this. So you guys can go about your business and go about your day after that. He chose to die on a cross. Why? You are the creator of the universe. There is nothing and no one that doesn't bow to you. Why would you choose to be born, live 30 years, serve for three, and then die a horrible death? Why? Why would you do that? It's so unpractical, Jesus. Because Jesus didn't care about practicality. He cared about impact. And Jesus knew that a conquering Jesus wouldn't save you. An enduring Jesus would. Jesus knew that a conquering Jesus would not save you. It was an enduring Jesus that would.
You see, sometimes you want the practical decisions. We want it now. Give it to me now. Mine. That's what little kids always say, right? Mine. Give me that. Mine. Mine. Sometimes we want it now. But what you need to understand is that sometimes your character is just not up to the standard. Sometimes your character would destroy your calling. Sometimes it will. I used to work out in my backyard. My mom can attest to this. I bought a bunch of, uh, it's called basically pig iron, but it's just, I was like working out in the backyard, like prison status, dude, just like throwing stuff around and all this stuff, right? And the first time I ever went to the gym, I went to the gym with my friend Gil. Not Pastor Gil, but another Gil. And Gil was yoked. He was big, he was strong. And I was really thin at the time. Like right out of, right out of high school, I weighed about 135 pounds. So obviously things change, people change, you know. But he's like, we're going to do legs today. And I'm like, legs? We don't work out legs, dude. Who needs legs, dude? I just need my legs to walk. And he's like, we're going to do a leg press machine. I'm like, what's a leg press machine? <laughs> I had no idea, right? And he lays down on his leg press machine. He sits on this chair and your legs do this. And it just presses the weight, presses the weight, right? And Gil threw on a 45 plate and then another 45 plate and then another and another and another, right? And he did his sets and he's like, cool, now it's your turn. And he started taking off the 45 plates. And I'm like, Gil, 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 I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm pretty strong. And I'm pretty sure if you can do it, I can do it. And Gil's like, all right, dude, whatever you want, man. Like, go ahead. You know, it's your gym membership. Do what you want. And I got into the leg press machine, put my legs in it, pushed it up, pulled the little security bracelet, and that thing came at me. Oh, that thing came at me. It pushed me up like, like Play-Doh. You know, when you had those little games of Play-Doh and you squish it out and pour it out? It like stood me up. And I was like, okay, cool. That was my first time at the gym. I don't like this. This is the worst. I feel a spirit of just, of just anger here. I don't like this place. I'm going to go home. You see, I was not ready for the wait. I was not ready for the wait. My body was not conditioned to move that kind of weight. You see, your character needs to be conditioned for the weight of your calling. Your character needs to endure long enough for you to become the right husband so that you're not the worst husband. Sometimes your character needs to endure so you can become the right wife so you're not the worst wife. What you're willing to endure, church, will determine your impact in the kingdom of God. Because when you endured some, when you've endured some, the weight that you can handle will surprise even you. The third phrase, the third point, is sometimes you got to run this race long enough to build your stamina. To build your stamina. I started off working, in my, uh, working out in my backyard. Then I got into the gym, sucked up my pride, and started working out then. And then I started going to San Jose State and I didn't have time to do anything. So all I did for a couple of years was run. Like run. Remember that mom? When I would just go for long runs and you would think I got murdered or shot or something like that. And you thought I was gonna be on the first 48. I was running, I promise. And I would run. And at first I, would, I, was, I weighed about 160 pounds, right? By the time I was done, done with my tenure as a runner, I weighed about 140 pounds. And all I would do was run. I would get home, put my running shoes on, and this is not the way you run, but I never stretched a day in my life during my torn tenure that, and I would just run. And I would run a block and I would be like, that was hard, I can't breathe. I didn't know I had asthma. And then you run the next day, a couple more blocks and a couple more blocks and a couple more and a little longer and a little bit longer there and a little bit there. Before you know it, I could run about eight miles easy. 
and I would do about eight miles a day. The most I ever ran just for fun was 13 miles. Why? That was fun to me at the time. I don't know. I was a lost soul. <laughs> I don't know why I ran that long, but I knew that I could. I knew that I could. Little by little, I built up my stamina. I endured block one and running in our hood ain't usually the most safest thing to do, right, brother? Right? Luckily, I was semi-fast, so at least like, I knew I could outrun the cholo. I knew that. I knew at the very least I could outrun the cholo. <laughs> but little by little, you built up your endurance. You see, sometimes the only way you will ever get better is if you suffer. The only way you build your character and your stamina is by suffering. And nobody ever likes to preach and talk about suffering because people tune you out. Suffer, not a blessing, mm -mm, tune out. Sometimes you got to suffer a little bit. And let me, let me guarantee you this. You will. You will. That's what happens in life, right, pastors? You suffer. Sometimes a little bit, sometimes a lot. Sometimes eh, it's okay. Sometimes this is the worst, right? Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces what? Say what did it say? Endurance. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, character, and character produces hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings, not suffering, plural, sufferings, they were suffering a lot of ways, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer to him. You see, suffering produces endurance. And I think the kingdom of God has too many people who refuse to suffer, who at the slightest inkling of hurt, of suffering, of wounding, you give up. You throw in the towel. My wife didn't make dinner for me today. I guess I'm not married no more. My wife always makes dinner, by the way. It's okay. But we give up too easily and too quickly because we are unwilling to suffer for even a little bit because everything on our Instagram feed, come on, somebody, tells us that nobody in the world is suffering but me. Why is everybody posting all these pictures on the beach? And I'm suffering. I'm not suffering right now, but and I'm suffering over here. Why is everybody posting the beautiful pictures with their kids and their parents at Disneyland? But all I see at Disneyland is kids screaming and kicking and dragged behind their parents. Because nobody ever wants to talk about suffering. Everybody wants to be perfect, but nobody's ever perfect. Mm, everybody wants to be good, but nobody wants to be holy. Come on, I feel like preaching that for a second. Everybody wants to be good, but nobody ever wants to be holy. Everybody wants to look like the perfect Instagram picture, but nobody is ever uh, willing to get in the gym. Mm -mm -mm. We're too busy, church, trying to be good people rather than obedient people. Mm -mm. I got I to gotta stop here for a second. I got to stop here for If you're a good person, I love you. God bless you. I love that you're a good person. Without Jesus, I am not a good person. I am not a good person. I have seen people that don't have God that are fairly good people. And I commend you. I am not a good person without my God. I'm not. 
And I learned a long time ago that I will never try to ever be in my life for one second a good person, but I will be an obedient person till the day I die. You see, good intentions, <laughs> good intentions never kept anyone safe from the consequences of their poor choices. I meant to eat that salad, but I ended up eating the, the I don't even know what they're called, the little Debbie cakes, what are they called? Uh, Twinkie. I had to think of like the worst thing I could think of to eat and it's that, all right? I meant to be a good husband, but I kind of like forgot. I meant to go to the gym, but I was tired. I meant to do this. I had good intentions, pastor. Your good intentions will never, never, ever keep you mm, from the consequences of your poor choices. Never. We are obsessed with being good people rather than obedient people. You see, let me tell you some church, very directly, very bluntly, and I mean this with all the love and all the respect and all the empathy and humility in the world. Good people do not go to heaven. Obedient ones do. Good people don't get to heaven. Obedient ones do. I'm going to keep saying it till you believe it. Good people don't go to heaven, church. Obedient people do. Good people don't go to heaven. Obedient ones do. Hmm. Suffering builds your stamina. It expands your heart. I actually did some research about this. And you know what happens when you build your cardio? Has anybody ever ran or did like an elliptical machine or cardio machine ever in your life? Okay, cool, cool. You know that feeling when you feel like you're going to die? <laughs> and your heart is beating like crazy. And it feels like your heart has just beated itself like 10 times the size. That's actually a scientific thing. The more that you push your heart, oh, come on, somebody's a word for somebody. The more that you push your heart, the more that you endure, the chambers of your heart get bigger. And then the next time that you run, you have more oxygen and blood to pump through your system. And all of a sudden, you're not tired anymore. You could run eight miles, you could run 12 miles, and it all feels the same. When you endure, your heart expands. Your heart expands. Suffering expands the capacity of your heart. It expands the empathy that you feel for others. When I sit across from you and you tear your heart open and you tell me about your suffering, my heart is able to hold that empathy. I know where you've been. I've seen where you've been because I've endured what you're enduring. I've suffered what you've suffered. People who endure are often very optimistic people. My wife, Karina, always says that about me. You're always so optimistic. You always just laugh it off. You always just let it go. Why? Because a long time ago, this is like story time now. A long time ago, Jesus looked at me and all my sin and all my mess and all my dysfunction. And he said, I'll just let it go. I'll forgive you because the capacity of God to love you far outweighs any sin that you commit. The capacity of the heart of God will always have room for the obedient son or daughter. Optimism. It takes what life gives you and it pumps, pumps it more efficiently through your body. Just like your heart. When you didn't think that you could take people cutting you off on the freeway, all of a sudden, it just moves through your body. When you think that you couldn't take that person talking to you bad one more time, I wish you would say something one more time. All of a sudden, that one more time comes and it just passes through your body. Optimism, endurance, it's the same thing. You see, sometimes you have to endure long enough to build your stamina, church. 
You have to build your stamina, your emotional, your spiritual stamina. Become tougher than your test, church. Become stronger than your suffering, church. Outlast your trials, church. Life is often not about, I'm getting ready to close with this too. I think a lot of times, especially us men, where my man at? Come on, where my man at? There's usually a lot of hooting and hollering. And Okay, there we go. I knew you were here somewhere. Oftentimes, we think that life is all about conquering. Yo, I beat that. Yo, I trampled that. I conquered that. But what God has showed me over the years is that life is less about conquering and more about enduring. We want to beat everything. We want to win at everything. We want everything to stop immediately. What good is it? What good is it to gain ground but not know how to stand your ground? You see, conquering can be temporary. I haven't drank for three days. I'm good. I'm healed. I'll never drink again. And the weekend comes and your boys are texting you. I guess one more won't hurt. I guess one more night won't hurt. Endurance, conquering is temporary. If you don't know how to endure, your conquering will be for nothing if you don't know how to endure. You see, you may worship on Sunday, but the devil is waiting for you on Monday. We may worship and we may sing and we may ordain and we may preach. But the devil regroups on Sunday because he knows he can't get you in the house, not in this house. But on Monday, when you're alone, when he knows you're weak, when he knows that you cannot endure, he's waiting for you on Monday. Anybody can give up. Anybody can let things overwhelm them. But then you're just wasting the pain that God allowed you to endure. You're wasting the lesson that God has allowed you to learn. And let me tell you some church, we all learn the hard way. We all will suffer. We all will go through things. We all will hurt. We all will be heartbroken. We all will go through things. But don't waste it. Use every drop of that suffering to make you better. You see endurance. It gets you from Sunday to the next Sunday. It gets you from month to month. It gets you from year to year. And it gets you from glory to what? To glory. From glory to glory. From goodness to goodness. Your decision to endure. Your decision to endure. Is yours to make. Not mine. I can't make you not give up. I can motivate you and rah-rah and get you all this stuff, but I may not see you this week. What happens when the bottom falls out? You see, quitting is a habit, church. Quitting is a habit. And some of us are addicted to it. We can't stop quitting. We are addicted to quitting because of our refusal to endure. Quitting is a decision based on short-term emotions with long-term repercussions. Let me say it again. Quitting is a decision based on short-term emotions with long-term repercussions. You may think you're just quitting this, but once quitting is in your blood, it's hard to get out. Run your race with endurance. Run your race long enough for your faith to outlast your fear. Run your race long enough for your character to catch up to your calling. Run your race long enough for you to build your stamina. But pastor, my race, it's so hard. My marriage is so hard. My kids are driving me crazy. My boss won't get off my back. I can't stop drinking. I can't put the pipe down, Pastor. You don't know 
my race. I believe this with all my heart, that there is this lie that's been told to Christians over and over and over. And every time I hear it, it makes me cringe. And the lie is this, that God does not give you more than you can handle. It's bad theology. That Bible verse that it's referring to, it's referring to something very, very specific. It's talking about temptation, not about endurance. God routinely gives you more than you can possibly handle. Hebrews 12, the first verse that we read, it said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what? Conquered the cross, beat the cross, broke the cross, his back. No. He endured the cross. Jesus was given more than he could handle. He said so in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sweating drops of blood. He said, Father, if there's some way for this cup to pass before me, let it be. But nevertheless, your will be done and not mine. Basically, Jesus said, this is so much for me. I can't do this. But I can do it if you help me. I can do it if you walk with me. I can do it if you go to the cross with me. Jesus did not conquer the cross, church. He endured the church. He endured the cross. Jesus, at any moment, he could conquer the situation. He could call legions of angels down, slaughter the entire Roman army, free the Jews, and bring about the second coming. But he didn't. How impractical, Jesus. How impractical. Why would you do that? Because Jesus knew. It's for you. It's for you. Jesus endured the cross for you. He knew that if he didn't go to the cross, Mary wouldn't get saved. He knew that if he didn't go to the cross, Ig wouldn't get saved. He knew that if he didn't go to the cross, Pastor Gil wouldn't get saved. He knew for the joy set before him. It was for you that he endured. It was for you. I felt in my spirit as I was getting ready for this that so many of you are on the brink of quitting. On the brink of giving up on marriages and dreams and careers and kids and people and giving up on God altogether. I hear God say so, so clearly, I endured so that you can endure. I may give you more than you can handle but I'll handle what you can't handle. I may give you more than you can carry, but I'll carry it. Jesus endured for you. And I feel this in my spirit right now. I feel like there's just a spirit of peace coming right by and it's filling this place. God has seen how you struggle He's seen how you suffered. He's seen the sleepless nights. He's seen the tears. He's seen the arguments. He's seen the depression. He's seen the anxiety. He's seen the tempting. He's seen it all. Endure, church. Endure. I want to open up these altars to you. If you need prayer, All our Facebook group, we love you. We thank you for being here. We'll see you next week. If you're in this congregation and you got to go, you are officially blessed and dismissed. You can leave. But I feel like what God wants to do is he wants to open up this place. And there's going to be a line of people here. People who have learned how to endure for you.
so that when they pray for you, they feel you. The capacity of their heart has grown in such a way that they understand you, they believe you, they trust you, they will pray with you and pray with you and love with you and break with you. But I can't force you to endure. I wish that I could run back there, grab you from your ankles and drag you down to the altar. I wish that for the rest of your life, I can put you on my back and carry you to the finish line. But I can't. Only you can decide to endure. Don't stop, church. Don't quit, church. Endure. Because Jesus endured 